In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. So, um... This week, I thought I would start with a question that is quite related to what we were just talking about off air, which is the movie that we are talking about this week has been described as a satire. Okay. And you and I clearly interpreted that as that we thought this movie was meant to be kind of funny. Um, uh-huh. but then neither of us really found it funny. Right. Um, and so I guess my question to you is, and I feel like. What is satire? <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you think satire means? And Ooh. I'm asking this not to like put you on the spot specifically, but also because I thought that maybe since you studied theater in college, that, the, that you might have some sort of like. <laughs> insight on this. Ooh. Wow. Yikes. I'm about to look dumb. Um, I don't I don't know that I would know I would have a good definition for satire. Definitely not in terms of like a theater background. Like we can like that part of the mix we can take right out. Okay. <laughs> when I think of when I think of satire, again, this is not a definition, but what I imagine that it is, is like taking usually having to do with politics of an era sure and taking events or circumstances and kind of reflecting them back to us to show Mm -hmm. how stupid they are kind of yeah 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 that all jibes with what I think I thought satire was yeah and and not necessarily it can be funny but it right. doesn't necessarily have to be. It's something that would that makes you think. But again, I don't know what the the actual literal definition is. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why, but I guess I really did typically associate some amount of humor with satire, but maybe yeah. it doesn't have to be there. Um, maybe not. Let's see. But this was the thing I was looking up. Just or as maybe we were- some people think this movie is funny. Well, I know it does seem like people do and like we'll talk about this, but the issue that this movie struggled with when it was written was people like quote unquote not getting it. Um mm. and so That's maybe me. I'm one of them. We're them. <laughs> maybe we're those people. Um I think so. Okay. Uh okay. So according to Wikipedia, 
Satire is a genre of the visual, literary, and performing arts, usually in the form of fiction and less frequently nonfiction, in which vices, follies, abuses, and shortcomings are held up to ridicule, often with the intent of shaming or exposing the perceived flaws of individuals, corporations, government, or society itself into improvement. Um, although satire okay. is usually meant to be humorous, its greater purpose is often constructive social criticism, using wit to draw mm. attention to both particular and wider issues in society. Mm. It's almost like it's so painful it's funny, almost. You right. Know I mean? Well, so like, then this goes on to say that typically, well, this, I mean, it says that um, irony and sarcasm are major components mm. to this thing. Um, mm. So, like, that's the thing, though. Like, I get irony, I get sarcasm, and I can absolutely <laughs> find that humorous. Um, yes. But, again, I, this movie, to me, felt like a real head-scratcher that certainly did kind of, um, what would I say, like, heightening the various kind of... Um, worst aspects and tropes that we would expect coming out of the 1980s. It certainly did yeah. that. Um, but I it don't... It showed some great real estate of the 80s, though, I'll say that. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think it... Like, I just... I, did, I didn't get a lot of irony or sarcasm from it. Like... No, I didn't either. I got more, like, kind of... <clears throat> I would call it more, like, comic book style. Like, it's sort of more the the vibe I was getting, you know, like in terms of the violence, it felt very like comic booky. Well, to me. Sir, yeah. Yeah. But even that, like, you know, that, but can not in a funny comic funny. book way. Yeah. Yeah. That can <laughs> yeah, yeah. be funny, but that also is not really what's happening here. I just, I don't know. I, from all of what people like, whatever I thought of this movie, what it turned out to be was not what I expected. Yeah. In a in a weird, vaguely disappointing way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you think it was going to be more, um, like, fun? Just in general, like, more fun? I did like, think it was uh, going to be more fun. I definitely yeah. thought that. Did you think it was going to be, like, Terminator style? Maybe a little bit of Terminator style. Not the Terminator style. so fun, I guess, but... Well, it's more fun than this, I'd say, honestly. Yeah. Even though it is quite a serious... Thing. like well yeah it, yeah no if it it I think it had for some reason has a little bit more levity because it also because yeah, this doesn't have levity this feels like every choice is like so heavy duty like it's like we're doing this so intensely and I guess that's yeah. the point like that is I guess the satire of it is like we're really like every beat every note every everything is going to be like you know, like whenever you're using a pencil and you see those kids in school and they're like really grinding it down with their words, <laughs> like that's what we're doing yeah. here at every level, at every yeah. juncture. And it's not even like the acting jobs. Like I think people do a perfectly good job of acting, but they're like, they're not like chewing the scenery either. And I'm like, yeah, if you're going to be in a thing like this, I would expect everybody to be like cartoonishly 
doing all, like I need like to see yeah. people actually like twirling their mustaches and like <laughs> why aren't there more people with canes with like a diamond on top or something yeah um yeah, yeah. but because well maybe what I'll say is this this clearly is like a satire in probably the most intense form that there could be but I would have liked some even some whimsy a little bit yeah. of lightness to this yeah and it and it turn and that's why, like Terminator or like I'm trying to think of other movies that I would put into this realm. Even Kung Fury, like this is clearly, <laughs> this is clearly like a, um, like an ancestor of Kung Fury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, I yeah, it's just it really wasn't what I was expecting, at yeah. all. Um, yeah. Me neither. And I'm just, well, I guess I'll wait till you read the description. But I had a different description in my head after watching it. Okay, well, then why don't you? Hello, everyone. Welcome to See You Next Week in Space. I'm Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host, Amy Walsh. And Amy, why don't you tell our listeners what we'll be talking about today? Yeah, we're talking about the 1987, I think, classic, kind of. Yeah, I think. <laughs> like, I, I mean, think it's for pretty this, famous. Yeah, I think... Lately, we haven't done a lot of true classics. I do think this is one. Yeah, usually when I say that, it's a joke. But in this case, uh, it is uh, the 1987 RoboCop. Um, yep. And it is weird. <laughs> it is weird. It was not what I was expecting. Um, and so I'll read the IMDb description. And then is that when you want to say what then you I'll thought? Then I'll say mine. I'll say <laughs> okay. my description. Okay. So, according to IMDb, RoboCop is as such. In a dystopic and crime-ridden Detroit, a terminally wounded cop returns to the force as a powerful cyborg haunted by submerged memories. And my description is a little less wordy. It's just a little bit more to the point of, like, what we see in this movie, which is... Um, <laughs> From the director, we really like squibs and we like to throw people through glass windows. That's my description. <laughs> you will see a lot of weird stumps and <laughs> um, like, yeah, lots of weird stumps. Um, you will see someone get shot in the dick. Um, so many squibs, like so many of yeah. those like exploding out of your shirt type of gunshot yeah. wounds. Yeah, for sure. Um, but also, I would say, still in a dystopic crime ridden Detroit where a terminally wounded cop returns. Yes, to I, know, like, I, that's I know that's still not true. <laughs> yeah, that, does, that one's not wrong. I just think that it doesn't quite paint the same picture. Well, and the haunted by submerged memories part is a real afterthought, I would say. I think that's a stretch because yeah. that's. He one thinks scene. about his dead family. Well, I guess they're not dead, they're just gone. Um, he thinks about it's them one for, like, scene. Yeah. 30 seconds max. And and to be fair, I was more distracted by the house. <laughs> by the me. house? Well, we'll talk yeah, about it again. <laughs> well, no, say what you were going to say. No, just I like a house tour. <laughs> and that's what I felt like we were on. Oh, right, when he goes to the real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about that. Um, So I was going to say, though, that this probably... I felt like what I could see was true, like, parallels to another thing that we've talked about, which is Starship Troopers, which is directed by the same guy, Paul Verhoeven. Mm. Um, he, uh, I think this might have been one of his first 
directing gigs. Um, mm. And he, I don't, let me double check where he's from because apparently like um, when he got this script, he was like, I'm not making this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, this isn't good. Like, whoa, you know, like, I don't see what the appeal is. Um, and I, I didn't realize this. I don't think I said this in our Star Trip Starship Troopers episode, because I usually don't talk about directors very often. Um, but in the case of this movie, um, he, at least at the time, uh, didn't speak English super hmm. fluently. Uh, because he's Dutch. And so oh. I guess when he read the script, like the satire part of it was completely lost on him. As it was like on us, us, <laughs> us native English speakers. Um, so it might be a bit more subtle than one might realize. Um, and it was his wife who like somehow got her hands on the script and was like, this is actually really good and you should do it. Um, mm. So that I is I like. I agree with her. I mean, the thing is, is like, I don't think that this movie shouldn't exist or anything. No, it's not bad. It's not really, like, bad. I didn't, like, let's be real. I've, like, straight up detested things we've watched for this podcast. And things yeah. have made me angry that they exist. <laughs> um, this did not, did not um, bring up those emotions for me. So it's, you know, ahead of the game in that department. Yeah. Um, so... And so I guess kind of cycling through this kind of, to me, I think probably what we'll be talking about or what I'll be returning to a lot is trying to figure out if I even understand what satire is. And if so, <laughs> do I think this movie is that? Um, uh -huh. Because again, like going back to our original question marks here on Wikipedia, um, the film was described by, who is this guy again? I think it's maybe the, uh, yeah, the writer. So one of the writers oh. of the movie, Michael Miner, said of the film that it was, quote, comic relief for a cynical time um, that was meant to be a send-up of, like, the Reagan era, broadly speaking. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, like... I don't... I didn't, I just don't, I guess I just don't think that that's got a lot of mileage as comedy. Definitely not. I mean, again, like, and then this next part that's in that same part that you wrote, it says, um, so when you have this cop who works for a corporation that insists I own you and he still does the right thing, that's the core of the film. What? Yeah. And also, that's that not funny. No, that's not humor-based. And I also didn't get that part of the film. I'm not going to lie. I went back. I told you this, but I went back and watched the beginning again because I liked the fun part of, like, you see Robocop and he basically just, like, walks around, like, shooting people. Right. But I was like, how do we get here? And what is OCP? And what is happening? And I don't think my second watching helped me figure that out. I did not get what OCP was the entire time. Well, we can talk a little bit about that. I think I have a pretty good handle on that aspect okay. of it. Okay. But that's but the whole thing is like when you have a good handle on what 
the general outline of the story is, and you put it in the context of the Reagan era United States, I'm like, I'm not laughing at that. I am. <laughs> I don't find any of that funny. Um, and right. I think it would take a real true comic genius to effectively do something like that. Um, yeah. And, and and not a cyborg cop. I just don't feel like that's the vehicle. For that. Probably not. Like probably not. Uh. No. Um, and and as well, like so, because of this whole satire bit, um, the violence of this movie was where a lot of the satire apparently, like, super mm. was lying. Um, and again, I'm like, okay, that's fine, but then I just don't see how that's comedy because like yeah i will say the most of the deaths in this movie which is saying something there's a lot of death in this movie considering yeah. it's not a horror film um yeah. and there like, are some gruesome deaths too super gruesome absolutely um the redheaded guy's death was straight up disgusting and if that was supposed to be funny then i'm worried about people's mental health wait redheaded guy <laughs> It's close to the end. The bad one of the bad guys, the redheaded. Oh, bad the guy. toxic waste one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was bad. Um, the one I actually even had a hard time watching RoboCop get killed, like when he's just a regular guy before he becomes RoboCop. Oh, I don't remember that. Um, one. that was pretty graphic. But like, mm. again, like you and I are pretty seasoned horror movie watchers, and I'm like, there are deaths that are funny, like. That they're so violent and grotesque that they're funny. Absolutely. Jason Mm -hmm. X has some hysterical deaths. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, But this doesn't deliver in that way either. Um, So like, you know, and, and I think maybe what I'll say to kind of round things out is it seems like Paul Verhoeven probably got better at this as time went on because... This movie just feels kind of heavy across the board, whereas Starship Troopers is similarly violent, similarly meant to say a message, um, Mm -hmm. similarly heavy-handed, and similarly satirical. Like, yeah, and it just is so much better kind of like it works so much better to me and is actually does have some like legitimately funny aspects to it in a way that this movie yeah. doesn't at all oh my god I just looked sorry I just noticed this movie is playing at the Alamo Draft House in New York this coming oh <laughs> maybe maybe I if I had had any substances while watching this I would have had a different take but I mean, Instead, it probably is fun to. W- <laughs> I was, as I was also saying to you in our production call, I was deadly, deeply, deathly tired this week. So my my possibilities for joy were limited. Amy is what I'm I saying. I get it. I get it. Um, I just think it's funny that it's still like they. It must be popular with people. It is. Like I know. I mean, this has been on my list. It's got ninety one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I this Holy has been crap. on my list of stuff to watch pretty much since the beginning because it's like such a thing. Um, I literally watched a movie the other day that had four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So like this oh is boy cinema. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can talk about that and, one off air. 
No, it's fine. It's it deserves the four percent, but whatever. Um, uh, was it wow, a perfect pairing? Which is a weird Netflix wine rom com that I started watching today, but have yet to no. Finish. But that sounds great. No, it was Scary Movie Five. It was like terrible, oh, but like okay, gotcha. Um, that that is ninety one percent. Wow. Okay. Well, that's so right. then yeah. So let's talk a little bit before we move on to the cast. So. Um, this also surprised me because I thought this movie, while popular, would have been really like ripped to pieces, like by kind of critically. But apparently, yeah. people quite like this movie. Um, yeah, and it did pretty well commercially. Um, like because this was placed in the post Terminator kind of mm. wave. Um, I can't remember. I think it was meant to be a summer blockbuster sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um and so the the audience was kind of ready for this whatever that yeah. means um yeah. and in Blowing fact stuff up and people falling through windows that's what it means well you know if you think about this i think especially this has real terminator vibes um but it's not yeah. only that um but like when you think about the movie watching public of the mid to late 80s um you know like cherry 2000 is coming out in this realm we've got the terminator mm -hmm. we've got um star trek next generation we've got all kinds of iterations of cyborgs and androids and and yeah. such um alongside varying kinds of like increasingly violent visceral movies um that people are watching like your Rambos and um, <laughs> Predator even, you know, like all that's yeah. there happening simultaneously. Um, and in fact, unsurprisingly because of this, uh, at first they thought they might use Schwarzenegger in the role of RoboCop. Um, I could totally see that. Yeah, but in fact, they decided against it because they were like the the costume, like the plating that RoboCop wears will be so big on this big man that it will look yeah. comical and so yeah absolutely I mean he, and he brings like he wouldn't he doesn't you know as much as people have tried to put him not this isn't like the Arnold show but like as much as people try to put him in like normal movies as if he's like just some random guy it doesn't work <laughs> right <laughs> he's right. too big like as much as they call him like American yeah, or, like, give him a name like Peter <laughs> Smith or whatever. Like, yeah. um, at the end of the day, it's, like, the real problem with all of these movies is, like, how come this guy who's clearly from Austria is being sold as though his name is John Eames? Like, what is and as happening? If he does, is, uh, yeah, and as if he's not gigantic. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I don't know how seriously they ever, like, if they ever even approached him to ask, but, like, I get it. Ultimately, they were like, that's not really going to work because, like, he's kind of, and I, and this is, I think, more me adding retrospectively, like, he had started to become truly, like, his own success, a name in his own right, yeah. and, like, so the costume, you don't cover up a star in a costume, you yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. you just yeah, don't do Yeah, his face would be covered most of the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Peter Weller is the guy that gets chosen to be RoboCop. Um, and we'll talk a bit about him shortly. But 
Um, I didn't know this. He actually had martial arts training. That was part of, I guess, one of the reasons that he was selected as being good for this role. Um, hmm. But it took a while to make the RoboCop costume. And so he didn't hmm. end up getting as much time to practice and rehearse in that as he had been told that he would. I think, if I remember correctly, hmm. he was told, like, you're going to have, like, a month to prepare. But it didn't end up being that way. And the costume was also a lot bulkier and bigger than what was anticipated. So that's why, like, RoboCop walks as slowly as he does. Because it's like, I can't actually... I, like, thought... Me like, the plan was I would walk normal, but now I can't. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so this is one of RoboCop's downfalls. Or downsides, anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then what makes, to me, this sound truly hellish... Is so this film, even though it's set in Detroit, was actually shot in Dallas in summertime. Oh so, God! So he's in this massive, super heavy costume, and um, like according to Wikipedia, he would lose like three pounds a day during filming. That's great diet, but like that is <laughs> fucked up. That is like well, the thing is, is like. Seem I, I would happily lose three pounds a day for maybe the next four or five days. And then I'd be like, that's enough. We're good. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, this is a shoot that's going on for months. So yeah, no. And that's, and at a certain point it becomes like uh, a heat illness. <laughs> like right. When you're. Right. And especially like you need your strength to be in this costume in the first place. And so right. each day that goes by, you're weaker and weaker and then lo probably losing more and more weight because of how difficult it's getting to be in this costume. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's a good transition moment to talk a little bit more about Peter Weller, who plays the titular RoboCop who starts out as Alex Murphy. Um, Peter Weller was 40 when this movie came out. Okay. Um and he's an army brat uh, born in Wisconsin. Um, and I've known the name Peter Weller for a long time, which I guess is kind of weird because when I looked at his like credit list, nothing super stood out to me as like how I would know him or anything. Um, yeah. And then when I saw him both like in the uh, IMDb page and then in the movie, I was like, oh, I've definitely seen that guy in a bunch of stuff. But I guess I heard the name Peter Weller and saw the face of Peter Weller and never, like, connected them as the same man. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But so he started with theater first um, and then started getting movie roles in, like, the mid to late 70s. Um, and part of the reason why he ended up in this role is because he was the titular Buckaroo Banzai in Buckaroo Banzai in the Eighth Dimension, which don't worry, that's on our list of things to talk about someday oh, in no. the future. <laughs> um, which is like a pretty wild science fiction movie. Um, and he's been in an episode of Fairy Tale Theater, and he's done a lot of TV Ooh, I wonder what work. he was in. What was he in fairy tale theater? I wonder. He was in the one about the dancing princesses. Oh, okay. And I guess I remember this because I just did this yesterday. He was credited as something like soldier. 
So I know oh, I've seen the one about the dancing princesses. I don't recall a soldier specifically. Yeah, for sure. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm, I love that. But so he's been around for quite a while and is of a, I would say, certain kind of prominence, but not like kind of big ticket celebrity, despite being in this movie and, and its sequel. Um, next, we have a character named Anne Lewis, played by a 37-year-old Nancy Allen. Uh, she is um, born in some, I can't remember which one, but in one of the five boroughs of New York City. Uh, mm-hmm. She started doing commercials in her teen years. And then she was like kind of the bitchy, popular girl in Carrie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't quite remember that movie well enough, but. I don't think I've ever seen. I or Maybe I've seen the new version of Carrie, but I don't think I've seen the original Carrie. Um, but as a result of this, uh, that was directed by Brian De Palma. So she was married to him briefly, uh, in the eighties. I can't remember if she was married to him while she was doing this movie or not. Um, Mm -hmm. she was also, she appeared in RoboCop two and three. Um, but her career never really went much beyond that realm. Um, Mm-hmm. And, in fact, her last credit is in 2008, and it doesn't seem like she's interested in coming back. So, that's, that's fair enough. her deal. Um, then we have, to my mind, one of the more recognizable people in this movie. The character's name is Dick Jones. The actor is Ronnie Cox, who's 49 when this movie came out. Um, he is someone I felt like I had seen in a bunch of stuff, um, both TV and movies. Um, Of this era, the thing he would have been most recognizable for was probably this movie, and he played a a cop himself in Beverly Hills Cop. Um, Hmm. And I think he played a mean businessman in Total Recall from a couple years later. Um, So he's quite around um, playing kind of a menacing white guy Mm. that's his whole thing um yeah and then all the dudes who played like the bad guys are that is they always play that well i think once you get he has the right look to be one of those people that like is he the glasses guy no No. this is the business guy with the white hair Oh, oh, oh okay 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 yeah um, he like looks exactly like what you would s- expect, which is like seemingly wholesome on the outside, but also smarmy. And oh, de- well, that's the way I think of all business guys, but that's just me. Good one. Um, so, but he it's not a joke. That's just that's no, I know. How I, feel. I know. Um, but he still seems to be working, even though at this point he's mm. got to be like in his seventies, I think. Um, maybe even, no, yeah, probably 70s. Um, and then I also just, since I mentioned, uh, Peter Weller getting married late in life, uh, in this guy's case, he was married to the same woman from 1960 to 2006, which was when she passed away and he's not remarried. So not that you have, not that it says anything about your love for somebody if you get remarried, but 
If you get remarried, you didn't love somebody. Yes, you're a horrible person who <laughs> deserves no additional love in your life. Um, Correct. But I thought that was interesting. I was like, that's yeah. quite something. Um, all just well, being just married to someone for forty six years. That's exactly a long time. That's, exactly. Uh, I don't. I haven't even been alive forty six years, and I'm already tired <laughs> of myself. So, like, to choose somebody Can you else imagine? and stick with it. Is a, that's pretty impressive. That um, is commitment. Indeed. Next, we go on to the bad guy character, Clarence Boddicker, played by a 44-year-old Kurtwood Smith, um, who I would say out of all of this crew, uh, I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say he was the most successful, although he may well be, but he's certainly the most recognizable, I think. By now. Yeah, he's the glasses guy. He's glasses yeah. guy, right? He's glasses guy. Um, and wait, and it, you wrote that '70s show. Is he the dad on that '70s show? Yeah. Yeah, I knew I recognized him, but I couldn't place him. Yeah, so he's the dad on that, um, and mm. that's why I like based on his credits. He's been around for a while. His first credit is in 1980, um, mm-hmm. but like it was that '70s show according to me that really made him be like a face that people recognized um Mm -hmm. and and that was like later in life for him um he and so in fact like he's been in a bunch of stuff since he does a he always did a lot of tv i would say he's more of a tv star rather than a movie star um but he still does do movies pretty regularly um, like he's in the new Firestarter. He'll be in that mm. in some capacity. Um, mm. And then there's also apparently going to be something called that '90s show that he will be a part of. Oh um, shit! Yeah, that sounds interesting. I guess that'll probably be like the people who were kids in that '70s show will then be parents, right? That's probably what oh. we'd be looking at. I guess so. Or okay. Oh, I'm into it. I'm curious. Well, I mean, I'm not ever going to watch it, but like maybe we'll find <laughs> out at some point. Like, yeah, and I'm not I'll saying that you know. because like I think it'll be a bad show. I just know myself and I'm like, that's not where I'm going to be spending my time. <laughs> with yeah, my that's life. Um, And then the final character that we need to know, um, I mean, this cast actually has quite a surprising set of people. Um, mm-hmm. but in terms of who we need for the story, we only need to know one other person and the character's name is Bob Morton. The person who plays him is a 33 year old Miguel Ferrer, um, who, uh, did lots of TV appearances before this movie. After mm-hmm. this movie, he was a featured character in the various iterations of Twin Peaks. Um, oh, that's so funny. One yep. of the other guys who has played another of the bad guys was in Twin Peaks, too. Mm. Um, do you mean, oh, I, I can't I'll remember look. his name right now, but he's 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 the one I recognize because he's been. Oh, in, Ray Wise. Probably. Yeah, he's. the Yes. Him and Paul McCrane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ray um, Wise is who I was thinking of. He's yeah, been in, like, that's what I thought. Everything. Yeah. Um. So. And then probably the thing that I super actually knew Miguel Ferrer from was Crossing Jordan. Um, oh. Because there's nothing better than a crime procedural 
from the late 90s Starring to early 2000s. <laughs> Starring um, a lady named Jordan. <laughs> starring a lady named Jordan who was one of the first uh, female prosecutors on Law and Order who then got her own show in this other way. Um, mm-hmm. And then he also was a right series regular in NCIS LA. But um, perhaps like the thing that I had sort of forgotten about, but not really, is that he died really young. He died at 61 as a result of throat cancer. Um, Sad. So, yeah. So I think that had he not passed away, I would say that he might have the possibility of being the most successful person out of this cast. But since that didn't happen, I'm putting my money more with Kurtwood Smith. Um, Mm -hmm. particularly because I think they also are interesting because they're like on par because they're having better success with TV than they are with movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Both of their careers are much more TV oriented than. Yeah. Um, but that's all we need to know for. (sighs) All right. Let's dive Um, into the weirdness. Well, we'll now here we go into the true, true, whatever we're about to go into. Um, so we open up on a cityscape with some like kind of aggressive music and we get the big title card that says RoboCop. Um, Very few title cards for a sci-fi movie, but... No, they didn't do any title cards and I'm not sure I... I think actually what I'm about to talk about was the replacement for the title card because Mm. we drop into something called Media Break. Yeah. And... That's like I feel as though what they describe it as is like three minutes to get all of the news that you need in the <laughs> world. And while mm. I don't disagree, I think sometimes you really do only need three minutes to like check up and be like, oh, is the world still a total shithole? Yep. Okay, got it. Um Yeah. I don't It was disagree. also their exposition dump. It's their exposition dump, but it's also, I think, meant to be part of the satire of like in the future. Cause this is meant to be some kind of future ahead of 1987 although again they don't pin they don't down. make it clear yeah yeah um you know i think it's meant to be like in the future people's attention spans are going to be so bad we can't even do a full news program we're just doing these like quick dumps every of info that are three minutes mm-hmm. um and then we're introduced to casey wong and jess perkins and you pointed out Jess Perkins was played by a young Lisa Gibbons who went on to have her own talk show. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not really super important. I don't really get, we see a number of commercials from this future as well. Um, and yeah. I'm not, I don't totally know what the purpose of that is. I guess mainly just it's meant to be kind of a, Reminder of like the the incredible commercialism and materialism of this world. Um, but what's more important in this specific exposition dump? So that's why I think this one especially is like replacing a title card. Yeah, is that we learn about the bad guy Clarence Bodicker, and mm-hmm. specifically what we learn is that um, he killed a Detroit police officer. Uh, in the context of a some kind of raid or arrest. And what we also learn is that the Detroit Police Department 
has now been taken over by something called Omni Consumer Products, which is a private okay. company. Yeah. Um, and so again, this is... Oh, and that's OCP. Right. Okay. Right. Um, and this is meant to speak to kind of the 1980s moment very specifically. And we're still kind of dealing with these ramifications of b- believing that neoliberalism is the best way to run an economy. Um, but basically mm-hmm. that most public services should actually be done by private companies, that private companies do things mm-hmm. better than any government agency um, or service could do. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this is like a pilot program where they've allowed this private company to take over the local city policing. Yeah. So then not I feel like that's so obviously a bad idea, (laughs) but I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Well, it's not like the current government situations are doing great, but. No, absolutely not. But I think any the minute you start to privatize it, and as we see in this movie, you have someone who's like, "I'm the boss of this, therefore I'm above this." Right. It's a problem. Yeah. No. uh, I am not for the privatization of public services. Um, I do think that, despite the downfalls of whatever a state or local government can do when they run things. Um, a private company being put in charge usually doesn't result in the thing that you think you're getting. Um, right. And That's so, so here we are. Um, then we get brought to the Detroit police precinct at Metro West. Mm-hmm. And when we get into the police station, we are first introduced to Alex Murphy, who uh, is arriving uh, because he's been transferred from a different precinct. Um, Mm -hmm. and this is when we also learn that this particular precinct is where the cop who just got killed by Boddicker, where he worked out of, um, Mm -hmm. and there's some discussion of maybe it would be a good idea to strike in response to what has happened. Um, and then policeman's shower room made me uncomfortable. (laughs) Yes. No, I thought that was, I thought it was not does anybody who's a police officer listen to this because i would be curious if that's a real thing i don't believe so but this actually that seems intimate for people who are like co-workers and there was a lady who was undressing too and i was like this is a lot (laughs) well like well so here's my thing is like i don't think i think probably there are like locker rooms and showers in police offices mm -hmm. or in police stations and I think probably mm-hmm. people do use them. For me, the part that was weird was that it was co-ed. Definitely. Um, and and that so many people were in it at once. Like, it it would be one, if like, I feel like it would be, it seemed like there was like, everybody was on a break and they go and shower or whatever it is. <laughs> hey, you guys, a, you know what we like to do when we're on break? Shower together. <laughs> <laughs> like, it seemed like, like, I feel like they've shown on something like SVU or on one of those shows 
like a room where you can like go take a nap and you yeah. maybe there is like a shower somewhere but like it would all be private it would all be like one stall like r- randomly one person might come in here when they're r- doing a double shift or something an overnight or something but not this like literally was like a gym locker room with like full of people <laughs> that I mean I'm not a police officer so I don't know but I I, would I don't be, know either I would be willing to bet the co-ed aspect of this is not usual um but no. this is a thing that Verhoeven likes to do because they have that same sitch going yes. on in Starship Troopers as well he likes to show a boob in a locker room. <laughs> That's what he likes to do. Well, because he's probably boob, enjoyed butt. some quote-unquote documentary films that feature such a thing. So he's like, well, now I can just make it, like, in the future, this is how it's going to be. <sighs> um, okay. He's Bottom line, he's a little too horny, and, like, this isn't real. But Yeah, I mean, I will say it was kind of interesting. Those were the only boobs we saw in this whole movie. Um, and it was only for a second. It wasn't like it wasn't uh, super oh. sexy or anything. No, but um, it was. But it was. I just feel like it was so out of place. That's why I noticed it. Yeah. Like, had it been in another moment, maybe I wouldn't have even noticed it. But it was so out of place in that moment. They're talking about this guy who died, and it's like very yeah. heavy. Yeah. And like, oh, we should strike, and then it's like boobs, and then we're still gonna strike. Like it just was. It was strange. Here's the other main thing, I guess, like co-ed, not co-ed, because, you know, same sex things could have the same like attractions and whatever. Sure. In a workplace, it is inappropriate <laughs> because you should not be showering with your coworkers, same sex, opposite sex, any, yeah, probably all, any not. and all genders. <laughs> it's not correct. It's not the place, um, you know, that, I mean, and that's. And that's my prudish self not wanting to ever like. Well, you like to shower by yourself in a bathing suit, so <laughs> that's like. Oh, well, I mean, if I was in a situation like that, I would be like, "Hi guys, I smell because I'm not showering here." Um, that would not happen. And right. if I had to, if I was forced to, it would be in a bathing bathing suit. That and is I correct. mean, I guess I can't really. Maybe I can't know. Like, what if I've been working with. And also, it's like I think the job itself makes a difference. Like, yeah, I suppose if your job you, is so taxing, you have also because like you see a lot of shit when you're in a job like this. Like the same as if you were an EMT or some other kind mm-hmm. of thing, where it's like I think people who are cops and EMTs and doctors like they see naked bodies a lot. So and you're saying if it was like if it was like a bunch of gynecologists, it would be okay because they've like seen crotches before. <laughs> We'd have to go to a gynecologist convention to know how much they shower together and if they do it in a co-ed fashion. Um, But yeah, if it's, you know, if you're a gynecologist, if you're a proctologist, it's fine. Like you don't like body parts don't matter to you. I don't know what uh, what is a urologist. Is that what the like? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I like penis doctor better. I mean, they all can shower together fine. They see bodies as their work fine. But like everybody else, I feel like it's hard to take the sort of yeah. I don't know. It's just I just and I also guess, if I guess it got very if it was super normalized, maybe like that's like maybe I'm like maybe putting a level onto it where I'm like I couldn't do that with my coworkers. Yes. But if but if I were doing it 
every day. And if it were yeah. part of a whole society where this is like the thing that we do. And I guess you get desensitized to it at a certain point. Maybe, yeah, maybe it like maybe that is a place where the future is going. I don't know. Maybe. Um, but it. I hope I, I die before I'm, we get there. I'm, <laughs> I'm not convinced that's the way we're going, but <laughs> I'm not either. I'm really um, not. But so, yeah, this is when, like, um, yeah, this this strike is being floated as an idea in protest right. to the fact that one of these cops got killed. Um, Murphy is kind of being walked through by Sergeant Reed, who seems to be like the like chief of this station. Um, and this is when he gets introduced to his partner, Lewis. And mm-hmm. he's introduced to her. She's like fucking like pounding a guy. She, she like roundhouse <laughs> kicks a guy in the face and then is like, hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> I know. And I was like, I mean, I guess that's kind of funny. Like, I mean, I think this is the type of stuff that maybe is supposed to be funny. Like even this whole scene right. in the police station not the shower stuff but like the the whole vibe of like that first floor where like they're literally beating people up and there's right. like a little lady coming up to the guy asking for coffee and it's like, right I think that that whole chaos maybe is supposed to be funny but it's not really that funny no I like and the thing is is like I mean it's not like police brutality was like less bad in the 80s. I'm <laughs> sure it was as bad or worse than it is now. Right. Um but like there was kind of um how would I say like a plausible deniability or something where like again, I wonder if some of this just isn't landing for us because it's not the 1980s anymore. And so like yeah. Um and some might say because of that we've all lost our senses of fucking humor. But I would say, like, <clears throat> listen, like we never had it. You could, you could, you can. I really do think you probably can make anything funny, um, even like terrible, horrible shit. I think if you were a good enough uh, comedian, you could probably make something funny. But yeah. like the way, but like th- in stand up, sometimes like it's not always. Like, stand-up comedians, I feel like, or that type of, I think it's the the medium in which you're working with. Because sure. in stand-up, sure. I feel like you can be a little bit more irreverent. You can go to places that are a little bit more like, ooh, too soon, you know? Right. Uh, but in movies, I don't know. It, I unless, don't know. Yeah. But, like. Unless it's, like, really someone, like, I don't know. Yeah. But in this case, what we see is her, like, literally, like, going to town on this guy. And, <laughs> like, as well, like, I think she kicks him in the balls. Like, you know, like, there's all that yeah. stuff. Um, and maybe the fact that she's a woman, that's also meant to make, tell us, like, oh, don't feel as bad about this because she's beating up a man. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but He's then okay because she, she's a woman. <laughs> yeah. So she looks up and she's like, oh, hey, great to meet you. And it's like, oh, boy. Um... I also wanted to say that, so in this movie, she's got, like, kind of a very short haircut, and Mm -hmm. apparently that was something that Verhoeven wanted, is to have her this, have her have this, like, more masculine haircut, and it apparently took, like, a number of tries 
with the stylus before they actually cut it short enough as he wanted because he'd be like I want you to cut it short and they'd be like okay and it was like shoulder length he's like no short (laughs) and um, and they're like well she's still a woman in a movie she's got to look beautiful right so like yeah no no like chin length is as short we can't (laughs) we can't mistake her for a man or anything I know this woman with short hair I mean if you turn around you might think she's a man it's like "Mm, probably not but like okay (laughs) um so then we come to the OCP office so the Omni Consumer Products office and this like as well like this movie really did uh, make me confused quite a lot early on because we jump we're like jumping into this pre-existing situation where the guy named Morton and his coworker Cox and then some third man who as far as I could tell was unnamed are talking mm-hmm. about their work rival who is Dick Jones and they're okay. talking about how he's like a shark and like Morton's clearly trying to like usurp him in various ways um, and I was like, and they're talking like a mile a minute as well. And I have to assume it's because they're all on cocaine, which comes in later. Um, and so then they get to this big board meeting, um, where they all sit down. Jones is there. He's announcing the plans for something called Delta City, which is, I think it's meant to be like built adjacent to what they keep calling old Detroit. Um, and it's going to be this like paradise of a city. Um, but like Jones is like, but before we can even break ground on that project, we need to first completely stop crime in old Detroit. And I'm like, why? Like, what, what does that have to, I mean, have fun trying. Well, that, but also like, why is that a necessary precursor to building this other city plan? Because wouldn't you think that once you stopped all the crime, wouldn't this city now be like so nice good yeah i don't know yeah um but i mean sometimes i guess we just need stupid plot points (laughs) so that the story can happen um and then he reveals his plan for how they're going to get to zero crime and this is when we get introduced to the thing called ed 209 um which stands for enforcement droid 209 uh, but mm-hmm. I like to think of it more as erectile dysfunction 209. Um, yeah. Because I'm like, clearly the person who made this and wants it to work, his dick doesn't function. Yeah, like, of course. Because um, you would not come up with this otherwise. No. Because um, it's you, stupid and it's obviously going to malfunction. In do you want to try and like describe what ED209 looks like or like what it is? Yeah, it's a giant, first of all, so giant. Super um, giant. Giant uh, robot, I guess. But it's yeah. not like, it's not, um, what's the word? It doesn't look like a human. It's not made to look like a human. It's got like one big, like, center <laughs> ball. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. Not a chassis it. of I, some sort. Yeah, and then like two legs that come down and then on the sides of it it's got like crazy ass machine guns on either side of its face i guess you could call it it's not really a face but yeah um and it just like walks in the room and yeah well i i will say this is where i enjoyed some of like 
the sound work because you hear the like pump pump yeah 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 (laughs) right you know like a lot of that and even and i'm pretty sure even to every time like robocop moves you hear that like sound of like um like a a movement of like yeah totally um so i enjoyed (laughs) all of that um and i also thought it was interesting because i want to i have the wikipedia page up for robocop because i wanted to where's the thing about the effects yeah um because you think they used like stop motion or something for well yeah for ed209 i was gonna say it looked different like it looked like it was it almost had an animated quality to it um but let's see i'm just quickly looking um yeah, he did. So yeah, they did do animation for that. It's stop motion animation with mini models. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they would film that, presumably doing something more or less in front of a green screen, and then superimpose mm-hmm. it over the yeah. the kind of main whatever the scene was. Yeah, yeah, the main frame. Um. Which is funny because the way it looked, I haven't seen something that looked like that in a really long time. And it kind of almost looked to me like um, even older movies that used different types of models and miniatures and stop motion mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that both of us kind of enjoy some of these more practical effects things. Um, so I was like, I know I this do. looks kind of cheesy, but I do enjoy it. But it, it works as for well. this, I feel like. Um, yeah. And so Jones then wants to do a demonstration of his new creation. And he just gives this gun to this man. He's like, hey, point a gun at ED-209. Uh, and then what happens? Ooh, it's rough stuff. So the ED-209 thing says you have 20 seconds to drop your weapon. The guy drops his weapon, and then the guy thing says, you have 15 seconds, and he's like, uh, and they, everyone's like, oh, shit, Something, something's yeah. not right, and they all start scurrying about, and then this motherfucker gets blown away. <laughs> like, super blown away, um, like, whole- I, I mean, when I watched it, like, holes in his body blown away, and yeah. I remember when I watched it, I was like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it just kept going. And especially, like, this was pretty graphic for a number of reasons. But, like, yeah, basically, like, as you were saying before, his chest explodes into squibs. Um, yeah. Well, his whole torso, really. Yeah. Um, and then he, like, falls backward onto the model of the model city. And I can't remember if he ends up then getting impaled on the building that's, like, shooting up from that. Mm. But it's pretty gruesome. Um, yeah. And what I thought was really funny is, like, the reactions, once finally everything, like, they disa- they deactivate ED-209, and then someone says something like, should we call an ambulance? And I'm like, what for? <laughs> the it guy is, is fucking too late, dead. <laughs> I mean, I hope that medicine has improved somewhat in whatever future this is, but, like, he did. He yeah, did. Yeah, you aren't bringing him back. Um... And then, but, like, everyone else is quite nonchalant. And, in fact, the guy who is just listed as the old man, who is, like, the <laughs> main guy of this company, um, yeah. 
turns to Dick Jones and says, Dick, I'm very disappointed. Like, he, he doesn't give a shit about the person being dead. He's like, this is clearly not ready to go to market yet. Um, He's like, I lost money And that, money too, on is this, meant bro. to be this 80s satire, right? Like, that yeah. we're this heartless company who doesn't give a shit mm-hmm. about um, even killing our own employees. What we care about <laughs> is making money. Um, and so then Morton jumps in and he's like, well, I've got, I've been working on this other thing and it's going to be much more reliable. And the old man is like, okay, well, like get ready to present to me about it. And it's this cyborg cop program. Mm -hmm. Um, now, and famously he says, now I just need some kind of a volunteer. So dot, 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 here we go. Um, Meanwhile, out on the street, Murphy and Lewis are getting to know each other on their first day as partners. Um, Mm -hmm. And Murphy is kind of like playing around with his gun and doing some kind of like Wild West style, like spinning it around his finger and stuff. Um, And Lewis is like, oh, what's that all about? And he's like, oh, my kid likes to watch this show. And the guy in the show did these tricks. So I started like learning how to do them. And she's like, okay, great. And then they get a call about a robbery and they have to head out. They then come across Boddicker and his crew of henchmen who are in an armored car. <laughs> um, and because I guess, I mean, they don't say this, but I guess they've just robbed a bank because they have a bunch of cash. And um, yeah. Boddicker is really angry because in the context of the robbery, the cash got burnt. And he's like, I can't use this fucking money because now it's like even more traceable than anything else. How much money do you think has been burnt? <laughs> um, which I did. Like, that was funny. Like, some of that was actually yeah. funny. Um, so as that's happening inside of the armored car, Murphy and Lewis pull up and are starting to follow it. Um, they have an on the road as both car and truck are moving shootout um which is kind of cool i mean i think i have to assume even in 1987 that was something we'd seen a number of times by this point but <laughs> yeah. like nonetheless it's happening um one of the things i did think was an interesting add on to this um was that there was one of the henchmen kind of made Bodiker angry so he just threw him out of the back of the truck so that he could then fall onto the windshield of the cop car to, like, distract them. Um, yeah. And I was like, that's an interesting and bold move. Okay. Seriously. Um, so then uh, Murphy and Lewis end up following the gang to this, I keep calling it a junkyard. I'm not totally sure that's what it is, but that's mm-hmm. what I'm calling it. Um mm-hmm. And then they kind of hang back. They see where the armored truck has parked. They get a message on the radio that even though they've called for backup, backup isn't going to be coming. And so I think... That's a problem. I know. I think even Murphy says to Lewis, like, what do you think? And she's like, let's go for it. And I'm like, why? I don't... What would possess either of you to think this is a good idea? Like, yeah, I don't get it. Uh, you don't have, well, I guess you've seen them with this money, but like, I don't, I don't know anything about policing, honestly, 
But <laughs> I feel as though um, in a situation like this where you know the guy is a cop killer, like you, your friend yeah, just died you wouldn't because go of in. this. Like you wouldn't yeah, go I don't in feel like... with just two of you when you have no idea of like how many people are in the hideout, where they are, like mm-hmm. what they might be up to. Like you know that they're dangerous. You know that they're armed. But beyond that, you don't right. know anything. I'm just like, what would make a person think that was a good idea? Yeah. And even if you think that, like, oh, maybe cops are people who are, like, more into taking risks than other people. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'd be willing to buy that. But, like, right. I just don't see, and even aside from, like, whatever, I have to assume, one, your protocol doesn't tell you to do this. It would actually probably tell you to do the opposite. Um yeah. And then just, like, even if you had some, like, authority to disregard that protocol, I'm just like, what person would think this was the way to go? Um, Yeah. But they do that. They go into this lair. um, And Lewis finds one of the henchmen first. She finds a guy who I think his name is Johnson um, peeing. For reasons unknown. Like, why is he peeing inside like that? I don't know. Anyway. Was that supposed to be funny? Probably. Yeah, because I feel like there are some off-color jokes happening here. Um, Oh, but that's what it is. She, like, sneaks up on him. He's peeing. And she kind of feels like she's gotten the best of him or, like, caught him at a vulnerable moment. And then he turns around. Of course, we do not see his dick, but, like, it's clear, like, that's what he's, like, showing her. And then he says, like, can I lower my hands to zip up? And she kind of pauses. And in that pause, he, like, jumps her and knocks her down from, like, the weird, like, catwalk thing they're both on to something below. So then she's, like, concussed for a bit. Meanwhile, Murphy has gone to this other part of the lair and he sneaks up on the gang. And when he reveals himself, he says, dead or alive, you're coming with me. And we'll need to remember that for later. Okay. Um, As he's trying to round up these people, he's calling for Lewis on his radio. But of course, she's passed out, so she's not responding. So then there's this other thing where it's like you didn't wait for a backup. Now the one person who's your partner is not answering you. Cut and run. Retreat. Seriously. Like come back another day. Like yeah. this seems nuts. But instead he doubles down and um, Boddicker shows up and he's like, where's your partner? And Johnson Like, they're all kind of congregating on this one spot. And Johnson walks in and he's like, oh, I took care of her. So I guess he's under the impression that he killed her by knocking her off that thing. Um, And so basically when it's it's the thought that uh, Murphy is totally alone and cut off from everybody, things get real sadistic. Um, Yeah. Boddicker shoots off. Murphy's hand and that was gross to see um yeah and then the rest of them just start 
laying into him, like shooting, shooting, shooting into his chest, into his torso. Um, and like this was really hard for me to watch, actually. Like as seemingly fakey as it was supposed to look, and I get that it was, like, because he, like, falls down to his knees and then he keeps trying to, like, get back up and, like, talk. And, like, there was something about it that looked really awful to me. Like, not yeah. a pleasant thing to see. Um, Because I do know that sometimes the human body stays alive a lot longer than it seems like it should. Um, And I don't want to know that. Like, I want to think yeah. that if I'm shot even once that I will just be dead after that. <laughs> like, that's what I yeah. want. Um, but this, and then when Murphy's like fully on the ground, still bleeding out, but still technically alive, Boddicker stands yeah. over him and shoots him in the head. And I think they all like laugh and they leave. Like, God. Um. So that like, yeah, like, Again, I guess this is the satire part, but, like, the violence was a lot. And then the fact yeah. that they're laughing about this. I'm like, so everyone in this group is a literal sociopath yep. um, with, like, a murderous tinge to that. Um, mm -hmm. And then the final little portion of this scene is where Lewis kind of wakes up from her concussion to find Murphy lying in a pool of his own blood. Um, and that's like, we get, I can't remember if it's like goes to black, but then all of a sudden we're into an interesting point of the movie where for the next few minutes, we're seeing everything in a point of view shot through the mm -hmm. eyes of Murphy. So first we're in the hospital, we're on a gurney, we're seeing people feverishly like working over him. Um, this is a view of the world I hope I never have. Of it. Like, I don't <laughs> yes. want this. I don't want mm -mm. this at all. Um, and despite all of the efforts of the medical team, we hear a calling of the time of death. Like, we can't do anything more for this guy. And then I think, again, we get a fade to black. And then we come up with first, like, static. And then we realize that it's still point of view, still from the point of view of Murphy, but now um, he's been uh, augmented with cyborg technology. So they're working on his like vision, which now seem is like vaguely mechanical. There are different scientists doing tests on him. Morton is there overseeing everything. Um, and it's unclear. I think what this is also trying to tell us is that a rather long amount of time has passed because mm -hmm. there's like a few, it's like static, little bit of information, static, little more bit of information, static, little more bit of information. And one of the things that RoboCop observes is a New Year's Eve party. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, it's not totally clear exactly because it wasn't clear like what time of year it was when he got to the police station or anything. Um, but clearly time is passing. Well, and I guess it would be a lot to turn someone who's dead into a cyborg. Um, yeah. And I think one of the things I liked about this in contrast to what we saw in Robo Vampire, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that 
we're not seeing anything related to the process of like how does his body get resurrected when did they like at how much time after time of death passed before then he start the the process of this happened like yeah how what are these cyborg implants that are happening like what's their whole deal um all of that is left off so we don't get forced to ask a lot of questions of like how how does this happen um yeah because finally we get to some amount of time later when robocop is being presented to an audience who's applauding um and i and this i had to actually rewind because i wanted to be sure i saw it correctly this is the first time we actually get a reveal of what robocop looks like because it catches yeah. its own like appearance in a TV screen that's filming. <laughs> right. Like that they're filming this final reveal and then that's where it sees itself for the first time. How will RoboCop react to seeing itself for the first time? How will all the dudes at OCP react to seeing RoboCop? Find out next week on See You Next Week in Space. Ooh. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.